welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast highlighting the stuff we've stepped in so you don't have to. And we'd like to, uh, first of all, say that I'm Sonny. I'm alongside somebody who <laughs> is wearing her ruby red slippers. Yes, I am. Are you off to the... Wizard of Oz? Yes. Are you uh, going to follow the Yellow Brick Road? Yes. Off to uh, find the guy behind the curtain? Wouldn't it be nice to find the guy behind the curtain right now and stop all this... Yes. Madness in the, the world. Great and powerful Oz. <laughs> so as you can see, we are continuing our tour of Southern California as we are in the shadows. Yes. The limelight of the Hollywood sign. Can you see it in the background? Those of you watching us on TV or on YouTube. I can hold it with my hand. If you just position just right, you can hold oh, wait, it wait, in wait, your here. hand. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, we're here at the, uh, the world-famous Hollywood sign, which... Started in uh, 1923, did you know that? It first erected in mm-hmm. 1923 as part of a, it was like a big billboard, I guess you can say, mm-hmm. and it was promoting Hollywood Land. Yes. Which was down below us, which is behind the camera, was a housing development, and plots of land at the time went from anywhere from $150 to $400 per plot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so the um, Hollywood sign itself was an advertisement for that tract of land, Hollywood land. And so it was a private sign for, I think from 1923, when it first uh, was erected, to about 1944 or something like that. And then there was a change. And then um, I think in 1973, it became a historical landmark. Mm-hmm. So 1949, it became the city. And then 73 became a historical landmark. Um, do you know how tall each letter is? I do not. I would say probably, what, 6 feet? 12 feet? 45 feet. No. Seriously? 45 feet. I looked that's, it up. That's 45 from feet? The, from the bottom to the top. Each wow. letter, they said, was 45 feet tall. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how long it is? No. Well, 45 times 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> yes. You're on to something. That, so 4,500? It uh, <laughs> says 450 feet. 10 feet per letter. Oh, see, so 40, I'm, don't do not ask so me to do math, people. Forty-five high, ten wide, or maybe a little less than ten wide in some space. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then it's uh, there was in true Hollywood fashion. Mm-hmm. There was one suicide back in 1932. An actress, 24 year old, jumped off one of the letters. Ugh. Which letter? Let's play that Hollywood morbid game. Uh. Which and letter? if you take the tour for the Hollywood stars, you get all this morbid, morbidity yes. when you, they're like, oh, so-and-so died in that hotel. And, um, I could tell, I could, let's I could see, 1932. Yeah, 1932, which act, letter, which letter? did Peg Enwistle, a 24-year-old actress, Peter Pan off of? I'm going to guess one of the L's. No. No? The H. Ah, second guess. Okay. The H in the September H. of 1932. Sad. And so... Um, the cost of building mm-hmm. the sign back in 1923, mm-hmm. $21,000. Oh, <laughs> wow. I don't know what that would be in today's standards. Lots. It used to have uh, light bulbs. It used to illuminate. It did, and there was lots of car accidents. Do you know how many lights? No. 3,700. <gasps> wow. And up until 1944, one guy... Because it was a private entity. One right. guy who was a caretaker, I guess, for the uh, plot of land that's above the sign, which is Mount Lee. Mm-hmm. One guy took care of all of that. 
And then uh, when it got passed on in 1949, the, uh, the city of L.A. and such took over, and then that's when it became a city problem. And then, of course, throughout the years, it was restored many times. I think 1978 mm-hmm. was one big time where celebrities got involved, like Alice Cooper, Warner Brothers, um, I think a couple others to restore each letter. And then it's been restored throughout the years, and now it's uh, eco-friendly with paints from Dutch Boy Paint or something like that. So now it's all... <laughs> and no lights, so and that no we're lights. not uh, yes. taking pictures when we're driving down the freeway at night yes, and no causing lights. accidents. <laughs> but on a clear night, it is somewhat illuminant, yeah. luminescent paint that you can kind of see from down in the valley mm-hmm. of Hollywood land that started back in 1923. So with that being said, as we sit in the shadows of Hollywood, yes. the Hollywood sign... Um, what, now you've mentioned before that you like watching those black and whites mm-hmm. on one Love of those alphabet them. soup channels. Nah, TCM, Turner Classic Movies. TCM. <laughs> so that was the golden age. It was. The golden age of Hollywood. It was. So again, what were some of the, um, I guess some of your favorite movies that you have on hand? Like, oh gosh. Um, favorite movies or favorite actors, yeah, actresses? Yeah, some of my favorite movies from that era. Um, so I love the movies from the 40s, 50s, and 60s because the wardrobe from those movies um, is just a lot, a whole lot of eye candy. So any, pretty much anything in that era. 1939 was a really big um, year for Glamour Hollywood. That was when The Wizard of Oz came out, hence uh, the ruby yes. red shoe slippers that I'm wearing she's today. She's off to see The Wizard. Yes. Little does she you know, she's sitting right next to The I Wizard. I was just going to say that. I'm sitting next to The Wizard. <laughs> I didn't realize today was one of those days I had to pay my dues. Yes, you got to pay your dues. So, so this is the great uh, San Edom, a.k.a. The Wizard. Yes. Um, so the, the Wizard of Oz was in 1939. As was Gone with the Wind, oh, wow. which is where I sort of kind of got my name from the Gone with the Wind. So 1939 was a big year. Um, some of my favorite movies. Were you born in 1939? I was. No. <laughs> I'm not that old. No. no. Um, but Gone with the Wind was the first movie I think that I've ever, that I ever saw. It was on playing on TV. They were playing a repeat of it, and I think that was one of the first movies that I've ever wow. seen was Gone with the Wind. And Robin, the cartoon Robin Hood was the first movie that I saw in the theater. Um, but I really like um, the actors like Betty Davis, Cary Grant, James Mason. Um, the, one of my favorite movies is All About Eve, which is um, typical Hollywood because the whole plot line of the story is that Betty Davis is this aging actress and Ann Baxter comes along and she's a young starlet and she does all these evil conniving manipulating things to get to weave herself into um, Betty Davis's life and then overtake her role on the stage and she weaves her way into her circle in the Broadway her theater friends and everything so it's like a typical Hollywood starlet climbing to the top the wrong way Uh, so she was the original Vivian Pretty Woman. She was working it. <laughs> Work it. Work she, it, Ann Baxter. She was. And, and I love I love those movies. I love the um, the drink carts that just come out of every, you know, movie. The the fancy decanter glasses. I love the wardrobe. Um, so that's, that's the one thing I could never really fathom is warm beverages. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the... No, they had the ice buckets. Oh, they had the ice buckets. They had yeah, the, so okay. they bring out this fancy drink cart. And back in the... Like, if you look at the movies from, I would say... Well, yeah, all, all the way up into the 60s. Um, anytime there's a... And you see a bedroom or you see a bar, 
they don't have the products sitting on the counter like we do today. They're, everything is in glass decanters. So your perfume, your lotion, your powder, and then all of your drinks. So I'm assuming that if they went out to buy whiskey, I don't know what a whiskey label or would look like or tequila at that time. But anytime you see, and now pro- part of it is product placement, you know, obviously they didn't want to advertise, but they just had all these glass decanters everywhere and they just poured their... So one would have to be careful that you didn't spray yourself with whiskey and drink the perfume. <laughs> exactly. You have to know which exactly. glass Exactly. The, uh, yeah, but right I've always been so fascinated about that. But um, yeah, All About Eve is one of my, probably one of my favorite old, old movies. Yeah. What about, okay, let's, uh, you mentioned up to the 1960s. What about more uh, modern? Because if you watch movies, it's interesting because if you watch movies through the decades, and for example, when I got my English master's, one of the classes I took was uh, a horror film genre. Mm-hmm. And you watched one film per decade. So, like, the 1920s was Nosferatu, 1930s was uh, Frankenstein. Uh, I think we jumped to the 50s, it was the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then you get to the 70s is Halloween. I think there was Rosemary's Baby in there. And then in the 90s, you got to Scream. So you see kind of the evolution mm-hmm. of the horror film genre anyways from way back to now. Mm-hmm. And so you obviously you see uh, a change in mm-hmm. how it's produced, how they're shot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, technology matters. Obviously, what they can do, capabilities with computers and things like that. And, of course, then as society gets more, uh, more and more evolved, I guess you can say, the plot lines get thicker and thicker and then more complex and more psychotic maybe at some times. So have you seen that in some of those kind of glamour type movies from the golden age, some of those? Because we don't really have, like you say, Betty Davis and some of those. We don't really have those uh, kind of iconic actors and actresses that are kind of glamorous and kind of like, you know, prestige like they used to be. Now they're just celebrities doing any type of film. You know, you can do one, could do a comedy. You think of mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. He could do a comedy. He could do an action adventure. He could do a drama. Back then, they seemed to be more like dance, more like... Uh, dramatic, the more theater style. And mm-hmm. it was like you said, you don't see um, glasses of whiskey or whatever in, you know, Harrison Ford, they slop up to the bar, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. so like, have you seen those type of films that you like from back then in the golden age, anything that kind of replicates that now today? Um, so yeah, there's definitely an evolution. So, um, you know, obviously the decor inside the buildings is evolution. You know, the wardrobe is evolution. The way they, the way they entertain guests was an evolution, you know, through, um, the forties, fifties and sixties, when you look at the movies. Um, so it's fascinating to see, especially the hemline, like the hemlines go up and down the, the hair, you know, styles, you know, obviously get longer, the older that you go, um, less formal. So like some of the, um, the storylines some sometimes you look back at some of the storylines and it's like oh my gosh they like I have to like push the guide and see what year that was and like they did not just do that back in I'm like what year was that so sometimes there's literally men that like slapping the women's faces or there was one movie where the the guy thought that the um, woman was like smarting off and so he literally took his thumb and he put his thumb on her lipstick on her lips like that and he smeared her lipstick all over her chin and I was like my mouth just completely dropped you see a lot of um um, stereotyping you know in roles and, and they kind of evolve over the years um and what's really funny because I'm so I really love um like eye candy and I really love the aesthetics of the films. What's really funny is when you watch movies in the 60s, they have these gadgets. 
So like, especially if someone is trying to be romantic, you know, the guy. So they have like switches on the wall that turns on the music and the lights. And then there'll be another switch that pulls down the curtains. And there's another switch where like the beds like comes out of the wall. There's like all these like, and it looks like a, like a radio like, you know, like a programmer radio thing. And it has like the one I was watching yesterday and literally had buttons like that said music, fireplace, door opening. I don't know what it was about the 60s. And I'm like, why don't we still have those in our houses like now? That's, that's like James Bond romance <laughs> stuff right there. It was. And is you see that it's really prevalent in this in the in the later 60s, you know, in the movies. It's it cracks. I'm like. I laugh every single time. So that's funny you say that because if you follow the James Bond movies, and at some point I kind of gave up because after a while it just got out of control. Uh, because you just you know you have too many of them, it just gets wild, right? Trying oh to get no, the next, no, 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 no! The, the next James next. Bond is like on hold because of COVID. I'm dying for it to come out. <laughs> uh, I think I don't, whatever one before Skyfall yeah. uh, was the last one. But see, I love the one, the early ones. Uh, and Sean Connery, you know, recently he just passed away. Passed. Uh, Roger Moore. Uh, yeah. Those are the ones that I like the best. The best because. It's that type of thing, those gadgets. Yeah. Those type of things are, those are the gadgets that they have. They didn't have the technology. So his car wasn't these, like, nuclear missiles that shoot out of the tailpipe. Right. They were, like, the legitimate open it, and here's the buttons that press, and then this happens, the oil slick or, yeah. you know, the bulletproof shield or, you know, the ejectile seat for the passenger side. So it was Something kind of that's attainable, that. yeah. Yeah, something along those lines, but in the action film. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I like watching the evolution of James Bond and those films, mm-hmm. because it does exactly that. It takes those things that you're talking about in his weaponry and in his, you know, gadgets and cars and stuff. And it evolves through the time. And then, of course, at some point now, like I said, you can have anything go because of technology can make, you know, anything come out of a car or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I totally get that. Okay, if you had to pick one or two. Uh, okay, so you mentioned some old, old uh, like Betty Davis and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had to pick, like, because there's many, many uh, talented actors, actresses. If you had to pick one or two that a movie's going to come out, and there's a really good chance that without even knowing anything about it, just because this person's name is on it, you'll go see it. In modern day? In modern day. Oh, yeah. wow. Because um, I would pick, what well, think about it. Probably, oh, like, Tom Hanks okay. is a pretty stable, anything that Tom Hanks does is amazing. Um, uh, Kevin Costner, yes. Russell Crowe. So I have, I have two that I was going to emphasize. Kevin Costner mm-hmm. and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and Clint Eastwood, his movies. Yeah, whether he's directing right. or acting or both. Well, that's the thing, because there's two movies that he's done that I haven't seen, but he wasn't in them, mm-hmm. that are supposedly phenomenal. One is uh, Flags of Our Fathers, mm. which is about the Iwo Jima uh, oh yes! Picture actually the picture the planting the flag picture. Yes, it tells that I miss story. that one as well. And then the other one, which is a Japanese language, uh, so it's subtitles, and I'm don't feel like reading it right yet. But it's letters from Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. and so it's the same concept, mm-hmm. but it's from the the Japanese side, and it's Japanese language. You have to read the subtitles. So mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to it yet. I love Clint Eastwood's movies. Gran Torino was yes. excellent. All his westerns were excellent, um, although they were very. Um, a lot of his westerns were very. Uh, um, what's the word against women? Not very nice. Well, I think I think weren't they a lot of them done south of the border? Like um, he did some spaghetti westerns, yeah, yeah. and some um, of those. But yeah, no. And I want to get to that too. The evolution of what you're talking about with the with the smudging of the lipstick and <laughs> with that whole uh, the way the actors and actresses and people were portrayed. Because even James Bond, you know, there's a lot of things that you know people now look back on and will see, look at and be like, wait a minute. You know, that's misogynist, that's mm-hmm. sexist, that's mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
to use as a jumping off point for that is uh, Molly Ringwald has revisited some of her movies from the 1980s with John Hughes. And I don't know if you heard about this, but I guess her daughter is of age to watch The Breakfast Club. Okay. Okay. And so she was watching The Breakfast Club. And at the time, when she did the movie, she was 15, I think. So obviously, you know, she's 15. Uh, but now when she looks back on it, she sees just how much of a, an impact that movie has or could have on, on girls, especially because Bender was, you know, he was just harassing her the whole time. Right. You know, sexual harassment the whole time. Right. And then there's a scene in there that they included in there that obviously was had no business with any part of the movie except to show that Bender was, you know, uh, um, a pervert, basically. Right. And then there was another storyline that went to that where apparently they wanted to include a scene in the movie where they included a gym teacher swimming naked in a pool. And so I guess uh, Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy approached John Hughes and convinced him not to put it in because, mm-hmm. A, it had no point, and, mm-hmm. B, it was just gratuitous. And so John Hughes was like, okay, uh, I see that, so I'll take it out. So at least it was kind of the early parts of, okay, we're starting to understand. Mm-hmm. Because in the 80s, you could watch any film, and there's gratuitous anything in there. You know, I remember when Lethal Weapon came out, the first one. And one of the opening scenes is a girl topless, she's high, and then she jumps off a balcony mm-hmm. and commits suicide. Mm-hmm. And the whole buzz about that movie uh, from you know classmates and stuff was the fact you had someone topless on screen that you could go watch, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was mainstream. You know, it wasn't you have to go sneak in any, anybody's magazines or anything. It was right there for everybody to watch. Um, and so you start to see this kind of evolution on screen somewhat or an awareness well, it's interesting that you, you say that because there used to be a committee. Um, I don't remember the name of the committee, but it was in force um, early days up until about the mid-50s-ish, I think, right before or right during the whole communism um, thing that went through Hollywood. So there was this board, this this group of men, and every film that was made in Hollywood had to go through this um, had to go through this, not the board of directors, but for lack of a better term, had to go through this committee. Right. And they um, decided what was okay and what wasn't. So some of the things that they decided was okay, obviously being, you know, sexist or, um, you know, degrading towards women. I obviously they thought that was okay, but it was not okay. For instance, there were movies that would portray a woman in a light other than um, pure, so, like, if there was a um, a woman and a man who were flirting and, you know, wanting, going on the path, like, they wanted to have sex, they made sure that the woman was, um, the script was written in a way that didn't put her in a bad light. And so they couldn't show, they couldn't, didn't have, like, a, you know, a sex scene or certain things were okay. Like, Cary Grant was in a movie with, um, I want to say, Audrey Hepburn, and there was a, a big age discrepancy between the two of them, and so Cary Grant said the only way that I'm going to do this movie is if she comes on if the if the female comes on to the man and not vice versa because I'm way older than her and if I'm pursuing her in the movie it's going to be creepy but so if she pursues me I'll do it and sure enough all through the movie she's like flirting with him and you know um, making the moves on him and he's like no 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 and and he's very respectful and so they couldn't have there were certain things that they just wouldn't allow and and you know the the um, as soon as that committee was disbanded, then if you look at some of the movies, it's like, oh, my gosh, like everything, like the, the 70s, you know, the 60s, excuse me, the 60s and 70s, some of the things that they got away with was crazy. And now you see 
you know, it's been kind of a free for all up until then. But there hasn't been like an actual committee, but there's been this like moral like, oh, what's okay and what's not. And then you get up to the 80s and it's like, okay, now we're flashing, you know, the nude part of the nude, the female body. That's okay. Now up to 2020, we've seen um, images of um, completely nude females, completely nude males. And so they don't have that committee anymore, but there's still this debate about, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, but yeah, we're just getting away with everything nowadays. Yeah. And, and the other interesting that uh, thing that is kind of the trend was, okay, the public image or the public persona was going to be cleaned up. But behind the scenes, as we found out recent times, you still had the casting couch and you still had some of those yes. underbelly things going on. So even though the public eye was we're going to clean up Hollywood and we're going to respect women and we're going to do these things behind the scenes, that culture was still there and people were still doing things and no one was calling out attention until, you know, just what, when the Me Too movement Recently, started, yeah. started to come out just a few years ago. And then yeah. and then the, the focus became on what goes on off camera and behind the scenes. Right. And that it is, it's a problem. It's a huge problem in Hollywood because there's a lot of, there has been a lot of times when women were asked to do things that they didn't want to do. Some participated, some didn't. Um, but that has been an unfortunate underbelly in some of this stuff. Well, you think about Back to the Future. In fact, it was, I, I had done some show prep for this show and then it included a note about Back to the Future. And then um, Back to the Future came on last night. But it was kind of funny. But there's a scene in there where Biff is in the car taking advantage of Marty's mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, that's pretty graphic of, a, of, a, of an assault scene, even though it's not graphic in nature. The content, like the, the, the experience and the emotion and the, the facial expressions that Leah Thompson is portraying in that, right. was, it was pretty traumatic and, and pretty, uh, you know, pretty right there. And there was some back and forth as to whether or not that should have been, been in there and included in it because of the nature. It kind mm-hmm. of seemed like Biff, it was okay for him to, to get away with that. But here's the other thing, too. More subtle. Okay, more subtle. Two movies. I don't know if you saw the movie She's All That with um, Rachel Lee Cook, and she's mm-hmm. the nerd, and she's a painter, and she's <laughs> like a nobody. And then uh, one of the guys, I forget his name, um, takes an interest. And then she changes, comes out of her cocoon, becomes a butterfly. Now she's this gorgeous princess type thing. <laughs> and she becomes popular. Okay? So she becomes a nerd to popular just by a transformation of how she looks. And then the other one was uh, Clueless with Brittany Murphy. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that. Mm-mm. It's Her character was the same way. She was goofy and nerdy. And then Alicia Silverstone's characters and her friends kind of adopt her and bring her into the, the group. Right. And they kind of give her this uh, makeover, this change, and then she's popular, and now she's taking the popularity away from Alicia Silverstone's character and so on and so forth. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, then there's this image that, especially back then, and maybe it still stands true today, although it's been forever and a day since I've seen an actual new, new movie, but this image that, okay, these kind of nerdy intellects can't, you know, aren't anything, they're like societal rejects, Mm -hmm. but it's the popular good-looking ones, Mm -hmm. and that's what you have to live up to. Well, it's the same same premise as Grease, and there's been so much flack over the years over Grease, because on one hand, it's this fun, like, the music is great, it makes you want to dance, it's like back in the 50s, it's just so much fun, but the plot line is awful in a lot of ways, because she then has to become something else to be acceptable. But then also, too... Because I was going to note that that movie too, but also he kind of changes because he becomes a jock and does the and he actually letters in long dis long distance running, <laughs> you know, and so he actually becomes a letter. And then they realize at the end, 
I think, at least my interpretation was, even though she was still dressed up as uh, as the the you know the hot chick, so to speak, um, that they could just be themselves because he shredded his. Um, they kind of met in the middle. Yeah, so yeah she, that's what I'm saying. They met in the middle because he she got rid thing. of her dowdy, yeah. you know, um, good girl clothes and became more, you know, out there. And then he was not so hiding behind his leather jacket and kind of came out a little bit. And they kind of met in the middle. But yeah, it's like it's she wasn't cool and everyone was making fun of her until she had this makeover. Well, she which was is, from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, is that yeah, a bad yeah, thing? Got that going for to it. Be, <laughs> I'm so it's yeah, it's just sad that that it has to you know the, that you have to change in order to be acceptable. But that plot line, yeah, there's many movies now. Obviously, like you said, we've gotten to some things where anything can go. I mean, you think of movies such as Reality Bites and you know Party of Five and some of these shows and stuff you know that portray other things you know uh 90210 had a lot of things so there's of course we can talk about a million things over the next million years about it but there tended to be and there still tends to be kind of a trend in Hollywood that you know whether it's a lack of respect for somebody and their character whether it's how we're going to treat people how we're going to have this image of people all these different things it's still kind of out there and really anything can go and the and even though you try to kind of um, make the public eye, you don't want to tarnish the public eye of Hollywood. There's still the underbelly that goes on because you still have, you know, is it Corey Haim or Corey Feldman? Uh, one of the Corys, he's still out there, you know, talking about the abuse that he suffered at the hands of somebody mm-hmm. uh, supposedly mysterious, you know, mm-hmm. and he says it's still going on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you still see a lot of these young actors, actresses that, you know, struggle with uh, drug addiction, drug abuse and stuff like that. And, and, it, and it's with anybody, but I think it's more focused and emphasized in Hollywood because there is that demand of, OK, I want to be successful. I want to chase my dream. I want to be this celebrity superstar. But. Do I really have to go through all this to get there? Mm-hmm. And, and am I really am I willing to sacrifice my character, my morals, who I am, to achieve that? And on the flip side, then who are the people that are putting these actors and actresses through this? Mm-hmm. You know, why mm-hmm. do they have to go through that? I read a book one time. I forget the name of it, but it was uh, it was uh, it was the lurid details of sexualized Hollywood, mm-hmm. and it had all these different actors and actresses and and their experiences, and a lot of it was the the women going to the men because the men were the dominant producers and directors and so forth, and these were now actors like uh, Sylvester Stallone allegedly and um, the guy that did um, Under Siege those movies and a bunch of marked for death. I forget mm-hmm. his name off the hand. I can picture him, but you know, so you have these people that were these producers that were trying to do movies and you know, the inappropriate actions and behaviors that they may have allegedly treated, uh, these wannabe starlets, mm-hmm. you know, and how they would go through. And then it ultimately came out to the me too. movie. I mean, Harvey Weinstein and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that, you know, is that something that is going to continue? And if it does, should people just walk away or do you sacrifice who you are because you still want to achieve that stardom? You know, I don't think that you need to. Um, if you have, I, I kind of see it as the people that have um, real talent, you know, they don't need to. They don't need to sacrifice who they are. So um, like Ron Howard is a phenomenal guy. I don't see that he has sacrificed anything he's really talented very generous um there's a lot of um really nice people Jodie Foster I have a lot of respect for her even though I've never met her um but she seems 
you know, to have stayed above the fray and she's very professional. I love her work. Um, so I think that there's, um, a lot of I've, people that you don't have to sacrifice and that stand by their, stand by their guns and, 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 you know, you go on your talent, but it's a, it's a tough business. You know, I've, I've, I've been in it a little bit. I've met a lot of stars and been on a lot of sets and it's tough. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. It's very competitive. It's very, um, dog eat dog in a lot of ways. You get on some nice production, um, crews, some sets that are really respectful and then other ones that are not so much and they don't really care about anybody. So it kind of, it's both. I think that, um, if you want to play that game, you'll, you'll get somewhere. If you want to sacrifice your morals, you will get somewhere, but not very far for very long. It'll catch up with you. Um, but I think that there's no reason why you cannot rest in your talent, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get anywhere either. It, it's a hard business. It's a really hard business to be in from, from the crew, the makeup, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors. It's really tough. Now you've been in, you've been an extra, you've been on set 99 different uh, TV movies, Yes, uh, mostly television. Uh, but a couple of movies as well. So you've kind of seen it. And as we sit here in the shadows of the Hollywood sign, mm-hmm. one of the things we wanted to do was have a discussion about Hollywood, movies, um, you know, what we like, what we don't like, maybe how it affects us because we do live in, at least here in Los Angeles, we do live in Hollywood. Yes. And so we thought it'd be fun to come out here and do a show in the, uh, in the shadows of the Hollywood sign as you see behind <laughs> us. And as we continue the conversation, okay, you've been on set, you know, like you said, 99 different productions, uh, individual so you might have been on a show a few times right so many of the shows I was on multiple times as a regular um, bar fly or regular staff um, teacher or you know whatever office worker maybe but biggest one you were the double douchebag on Superstore (laughs) that's his favorite yeah (laughs) yes I was the double douchebag Um, but you've also been on like Criminal Minds Triple Douche yes Oh, you were triple. I was the triple. Wow, you were triple. You even worse than I remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. No wonder why. Maybe it was double. I don't know. So you've had the. Um, so you had. So you've had that. So you've had that where you've been picked on. I had. Yeah. I. I made pretty much. I was not. Um, I was not very um, obedient on set that day. Normally, when I'm on set, I'm very obedient. I do what I'm told. Um, there's been a couple of times when I've gone outside of um, that. But and that was one of those days where I was not being very obedient, so they um, got me back. So they made outs- me the double douche. So outside of that experience, uh, which is probably warranted because you yes. weren't cooperating. Yes. yes, um, yes outside yes. of that, how has your experience been dealing on these sets? You know, dealing on dealing with the the cast and dealing with the production staff and producers, showrunners, things like that. How has your overall experience been for maybe people like me who are on the outside for the most part? I've had a few interactions with some some people, but I've been more on the outside looking mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But you being on the inside, what's your experience been like? Um, I it's first of all, it's a blast. It is an absolute blast. I love being on set. I can't wait to be back on set um, when when my life is um, settled again and I can go back to doing that. But it was an absolute. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I just, I'm a nerd. I'm a geek in that way. I love learning. I love watching. I love, I mean, the crew has like ladders and gadgets and (laughs) there's just like this hustle and bustle, you know, everywhere. You get to meet a lot of um, famous actors. You get to see firsthand what they're doing. So I absolutely love it. Um, 
I have some starstruck stories. I have some funny set stories. I have some camera trickery stories. But let me tell you a few of the shows that I was on. Just in case, see if you recognize. I won't go through all 99, but I'll just like the popular ones. She sent ones. me the list, so if you would like it, I can send it to you. <laughs> you Maybe get an autograph for you. No, 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 no. I wrote it down because I have terrible recall memory. Like, if you've been listening to us or watching us for very long at all, I am such a scatter. Like, I don't know. Recall has left my brain. So well, it might be onto something. If you want an autographed yeah. copy of all the shows she's been in, <laughs> just hit her up on uh, Instagram, and she might send you one. Digital yes. copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their pictures are on my Instagram feed. There's a like one of those story bubbles on my page as seen on or TV sightings, I think is what I called it. Yep. There's a whole bunch of pictures on there. So I was on the Mindy Project, Parenthood. Um, Partners was fun because that was Kelsey Grammer. And um, uh, that was a lot. I got to meet, you know, he. I did a scene actually with Kelsey Grammer. That was really fun. Um, Franklin and Bash, Scandal, American Sniper, Legends, Anchor Manage. Um, anger management with Charlie Sheen, um, masters of sex, the exes switched up birth. I was on, um, a couple of times, sons of anarchy, uh, scorpion stalker, criminal minds, parks and rec with Amy Poehler. She was a lot of fun to watch. Um, revenge and CIS Brooklyn nine, nine cougar town. Did you now ever see something. Cougar Town? That's with um, <laughs> Courtney. Courtney uh, Courtney, uh, yes. Whatever she is now, Courtney Cox. Or- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on, um, I, did, I was one of, at Barfly in, on Cougar Town one time. Um, House of Lies with Don Cheadle. That was a lot of fun. Blackish, um, Aquarius, Odd Couple, Grace and Frankie with um, um, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, Sam Waterston, and uh, Martin Sheen. That was a lot of fun. I saw them all in the same room. Um, what else would you know? Let's see. Let's see. Let's yeah, see. see. Bones, uh, mom. A lot of the, well, not a lot of those, but uh, a majority of them I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember. Two Broke Girls. Okay. Have you seen that I, one? I remember most recently it was the Superstore. That's why I bring it up because after we started doing this show together, um, that's when I saw it and I was like, hey, that's her. Yeah. She's actually not lying. I'm actually <laughs> not lying. Yeah, I have not making it up. And I have no. pictures of most of these, yeah. not all of them, but I have pictures of most of them. Um, let's see. NCIS, yeah. both that one in L.A. Um, Castle. Um, 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 Drunk History was a funny one. Um, Children's Hospital with Henry Winkler. That was an interesting one. And The Muppets, just trying to see. Big Bang Theory, The Grinder. Um, Rizzoli and Isles, the middle, that was fun. She, the late, um, what's her name? Oh, my which mom. one? She was really nice. The lady, the, um, the mom on the middle. Oh. That was a fun show. Um, Cruel Intention, Go oh, Grey's Anatomy, Kirby Enthusiasm, American Horror Story, Santa Clarita Diet, Drew Barrymore was really nice. Um, that's pro- Code Black. That's probably the one, Here and Now, Lethal Weapon, Superstore. Um, so I just got through watching... I think that's a speechless with Mini Driver. So that's was, probably the ones that you yeah. would know. I just got done watching the Rizzolian Isles uh, series. I was through. a doctor. Oh, were you? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I have to go back and see which one you were. But it's kind of funny because um, you mentioned, okay, you mentioned Starstruck. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I want to touch on celebrity worship, worship or like the, the Starstruckness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And because... I looked it up because I know you like definitions, you like <laughs> academia, you like to learn. I do. So I looked up a psychological definition, not okay. Webster's, but more of a psychological definition of what a celebrity worship type thing might be. And basically, 
a conclusion of a couple different sites was that it fills something in a person's life that they might be lacking. That's why you look to them. You mm-hmm. live vicariously through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that kind of seemed, you know, without getting into the, the whole mind, that kind of seemed an underlining theme. We like to look at the celebrities, worship the celebrities, be in awe, starstruck, whatever, because it's something that, you know, we don't have. Mm-hmm. So first off, who were you starstruck so there were, so I've seen a lot, every single one of those shows that I mentioned had some sort of celebrity or actor, well-known, you know, person. It's like, oh, so-and-so's here today or whatever. And there's like a code that we're supposed to follow. You're not supposed to talk to them. You're not supposed to gush all over them. Absolutely no pictures, no autographs, no conversation. Leave them alone. Ignore them. Um, but sometimes you can't help. Like there's certain people on set that like, you know, <laughs> it's like so-and-so's here. It's like, oh my gosh. So it's like kind of cool. So, um. I was doing one, there's a, let me just go through these really super fast and then I'll tell you a couple stories. So Steve Carell, um, Kelsey Grammer, Carrie Washington, Henry Winkler, Tim Robbins, Holly Hunter, Amy Poehler, Don Cheadle, Charlie Sheen, um, Wayne Knight, um, Newman from, you know, Seinfeld, Leah Remedy, Kirsten uh, Johnson, David Allen Bosch, um, Mark Paul Gosselier from Saved by the Bell. Jane Seymour, Heather Locklear, Malcolm McDowell, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Sam Watterson, Martin Sheen, um, Clint Eastwood. So those are the ones that were like the big ones that kind of like stuck out. Um, So we were on, I was on the set of Angie Tribeca. Um, We were there for like four or five days in a row. And Steve Carell and his wife were the writer producers for the show. But they were, we never saw them. But one, (laughs) one day we were in the church and we were filming like this wedding scene and I happened to turn around and Steve Carell was standing in the back and he just for whatever reason we locked eyes or we caught you know each other's gaze and I the look on my face must have terrified him (laughs) you scared him off I did because he made a beeline he's like oh and he went around the like step back around and because I looked I'm like oh in my head I was like oh my god that's Steve Carell my face must have showed that it must have betrayed me. And he immediately hid behind. So I didn't cause a scene. That was pretty funny. Um, Carrie Washington is absolutely charming. I love, 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 love her. But, um, Tim Robbins. Okay. Shawshank Redemption. Oh yes. So I was on two of his shows. I was on the brink and I was on, um, here and now on. And so I got to work with him, um, twice. He's very tall. He's like six feet. I don't know, six or something. He's very intimidating. So we're on the brink. And when you go onto these um, sets, they're on a soundstage, right? So the soundstage is like this big warehouse type building. And then when you go inside the soundstage, then they have the set. So like the living room, the police station, whatever it is built, you know, inside the soundstage. So between the set of the presidential um, war room type thing that they were filming, between that set and the door to the actual um outside was very small there was like a little small it's not normally not that small but for some reason it was really small so I'm like oh I'm gonna go get a drink (laughs) and as soon as I did that I start walking towards Tim Robbins comes in and we literally run into each other and I was like and I looked up at him and I was just like Oh, and I didn't know what to say. We were just like, he's like looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God, there's Tim Robbins. And I, we were just like frozen. And then I like slowly backed out of his way and just kind of like leaned up against the wall. And he's just looking at me like, who is this girl? And then, you know, of course everyone was laughing and it was very intimidating. It was just like. Was he still breathing out of his eyelids from the movie uh, Bull Durham? Yeah. watched it? 
he had all these nutty things to help him pitch better. And he didn't say, yeah, and he didn't say a word. He didn't say, oh, pardon me. He didn't say, and then when I saw him again on the set of Here and Now, I was literally standing right next to him in the kitchen for a couple of days filming this um, scene because he was the character that was retiring. He was giving a speech, and I was standing, like, right there. And he doesn't talk. Some of that, like Henry Winkler, he'll stand there in between scenes, and he'll just carry on a conversation with you. He's so funny. Tim Robbins, he just stands there. So it's very intimidating, and he's so tall, and you're like, oh, God, and like, okay, don't look at him. Don't. But then I'm like, I want to look because it's... T- <laughs> well, you can't help it, right? You can't now, help it. Now, you had, growing up, well, you had like, like Teen Beat or some of those magazines. Yeah, Tiger Beat. Yeah. Tiger Beat. Okay. And so that was one of the things that was kind of interesting. When you look at the evolution of celebrity worship or whatever, I think it could go back to the crazed phenomena of idol worship or celebrity worship in this case, probably went back to Elvis. That's probably the first time we had somebody that hit the scene and everybody just went nuts, right? Probably in the 50s maybe. That's mm-hmm. kind of when the decorum kind of went out the window and we're like, oh, nutty. And then the Beatles, obviously, and Beatlemania right. and stuff. And then right. you had the fan magazines. So, like, the very first fan magazine was Photoplay. It came out in 1911, actually, and lasted until 1980. And so that's where you can start to get... Uh, the pictures and things that people would, I guess, tape on your wall or whatever, you know, and peel them out. And then, of course, you know, you went from the fan magazines, which was like Tiger Beat and some of those, you know, celebrity-style ones, and then you got into more of the tabloid-style ones. And so there was became the difference between, okay, this is just them and a picture of them, to now let's get into their lives and find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have changed. Another evolutionary part of the whole phenomenon was now we're invested in not only who they are and what they look like and, oh, he's hot, oh, she's cute, oh, she's beautiful, whatever. Now it's like, what are they doing? And the gossipy side of it came into it, and that drove us more to want to be this, like, you know, fan worship, so to speak. Because then you have people like uh, Kim Kardashian, you know, in all honesty, what she is, what has she really done? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, her dad was a famous lawyer of O.J. Simpson. And then you had, uh, you know, uh, Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. What did she do? But mm-hmm. she had TV shows. Um, you can even go nowadays to social media where people are on social media and you've got all these people that are YouTubers and, you know, TikTok. And, the influencers, and, yeah. the influencers. Yeah. And they haven't done anything except right. done it. And yet we still worship them and we still want to be involved in them and we still want to right. find out more about them. And so the obsession grows greater and greater mm-hmm. and it gets to the point obviously for some people it's unhealthy and so then you've got a problem when it becomes mm-hmm. unhealthy mm-hmm. but yet there's still a fine balance between a healthy obsession which is fun and an unhealthy one which then becomes problematic i remember uh, i had a guy a buddy of mine that had a security company and every year uh, i would help him out and do security for uh, young and the restless bold and the beautiful mm-hmm. fan fan shop at the uh, i was on general hospital oh, by the way yeah yeah <laughs> and and so all the fans from the fan club would come out and see the the actors and actresses and 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 they were all fanatical thus the word fan but they were all had a healthy check cuz you get to know them you know every year but it was kind of funny because you see all these you know actors and actresses on the shows and they would go through the whole show like the presentation and the and the um the actual performance or the actual ceremony of the fan club. And then they'd all go off into the uh, big rooms and they'd have a table and then you can line up and get autographs and pictures. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Eric Braden, he's Victor Newman on the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yep. he's, he's been on forever, 40-some yep. years. I remember the last year I was there, it was, you know, he's probably the most famous. In fact, it was rumored that he wasn't going to show up, him and Victoria Newman or mm. the other girl. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I don't know. Anyways, they weren't going to show up because it's just getting, you know, they were getting up there in age and had been there forever. Well, they were going to shock everybody and bring them in. They decided they would do it. So it was a big surprise. Only security knew that they were coming in. Mm -hmm. And the whole place went nuts. Anyways, so here's a guy. He shows up at like 2 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon to the start of this event. Midnight. He's the last one there Mm -hmm. signing autographs, Mm -hmm. taking pictures. All the other young celebrities had taken off, mm-hmm. all gone, mm-hmm. the bars, whatever. He's still there. And I remember I was asked because they were letting people go. And so since I knew the, the guy that was kind of running things security-wise, I got to stay until the end. And so I'm sitting at his table with him just kind of, you know, watching. So at the end, I asked him, I said, why do you stay? You're like the biggest celebrity of them all. He goes, it's because these people here are the reason why I am who I am today. Mm-hmm. And he goes, all these people leave, and that's fine. He's not a judgment. But – he remembered the people yeah. that put them, put him yeah. there, made him popular. He was a fan favorite. Yeah. And the fans came to see him, so he was going to be there for the very last minute. And anybody that wanted a picture, anybody that wanted an autograph, he was going to be there until, until the end. And that was kind of interesting. It was like, oh, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another guy, Steve Taylor. He's a musician, Christian musician, guy that I uh, have followed throughout the years. Um, got to meet him a couple times, and he's probably the closest to uh, – you know, my celebrity worship or whatever that I'd get to because you kind of like, oh, wow, it's him. But same thing. I've seen him at different concerts and stuff, and he would have people come, take pictures. And the last time he was down in Hollywood at the Whiskey A Go-Go a couple years ago, and at the, he was there till the end. He, he, they kicked him out at like 2 in the morning. They kicked us all out. He's on on Sunset Boulevard taking pictures and mm-hmm. signing autographs at 2 in the morning right. because same thing. I asked him about it. He said the same thing. These are the people that make us. And so when you get those people that really understand who it is Mm -hmm. that made them, and it becomes about the fan in Mm -hmm. these instances Mm -hmm. as opposed to themselves, it's kind of refreshing to think that. And it comes from these veteran people. Mm -hmm. The longevity, they know the longevity comes from. We had a chance one time on a sports show to talk to Kevin Costner. And it was fascinating to talk to him because he went into the detail of the importance of the little things, the way you walk into a room, mm-hmm. the way you might say something. You don't just say the dialogue, the way you say it, mm-hmm. you know, the way you shoot it, the camera angle. I mean, the attention to detail and people like that, you know, who have an appreciation for their craft, not only recognizing the fans that kind of made them, but also the appreciation for their craft and how they do things. And I'm not just going to do a movie to do a movie. I'm going to make sure the shot, I'm going to make sure that the, uh, the wardrobe, I'm going to make sure that everything is just right because that's what makes the difference. And mm-hmm. to me, that's what I find absolutely fascinating about these successful people. And when you hear stories like that, then I don't mind that, you know, they're who they are. Because they've worked hard for it and mm-hmm. they know where they come from. And then on the flip side, you've got people that you're like, you know, why are you even doing that? You're just, you know, basing off your looks or because you have a multiple following on social media or you haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. When you do something and something that has some meat to it, then that, I think, is when you really kind of reach the apex of Hollywood and worthy of the Hollywood sign that's behind <laughs> us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're grounded, obviously, um, you're going to go a lot further no matter what you do. If you're doing it for reasons of, you know, creativity and for um, maybe using your platform for philanthropy and investing in other people and giving back to the fans, then I think you have a well-rounded career no matter what you're doing, you know. But if you're not grounded and you don't know who you are and you're just striving for the audience first and the craft second or you know, fame first and the craft and the integrity and the quality second, then that's, I think, when people get 
upside down and get and backwards and you know get into trouble. Do you remember who your first celebrity or your first autograph or first whatever was? Who you met? Who it was? On set? No, just in life. Oh, in life. Um, the fir- well, probably um, Justin Hartley, the guy that plays Kevin on This Is Us. Oh yeah, okay, I remember. I, that. Yeah, I just recently had a picture taken yeah. with him at well in February, I guess. Um, it's on my Instagram, but. Um, well, yeah, on set, I guess, is when I started meeting. Yeah, I never met anybody in until I started working as background. Yeah, The first person I ever met, I was really young, Dean Jones mm. from Herbie the Love Bug and all that. Oh, and yeah. He was also in other movies, but he was back then known for Herbie the Love Bug. And he was at an event. I think it was at Hollywood Press Church, in fact. Uh, but he was at an event, and I walked up to him. I had a piece of paper. I think I still have the autograph somewhere and a pencil. That was what it was, a paper and a pencil. I just grabbed something. And asked him for his autograph, and he was like, okay, I'll give it to you, but if you tell nobody that I'm here. Because he didn't want to be bombarded. <laughs> right, right. For that. But I thought that was kind of cool thinking back on it. He could have turned me away, mm-hmm. you know, and been like, no, I'm not here for that. But he's like, okay, I'll give it to you, but don't, don't let anybody don't, know I'm yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't blow you know, my don't, cover. Yeah, don't blast it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool, so I got one. So that was kind of cool. And so maybe that's why your first taste. Now, there's been other people that I've met that it's just like, dude, you're a quadruple douche. And it's like, I don't want to deal with you ever again. Um, so you got that too. So, you yeah. know, like anything in life, you're going to run the gauntlet. I did actually sit beside, um, my husband and I sat beside Anne Hathaway oh, and yeah. her husband at Malibu. Uh, I shouldn't say, <laughs> I won't say the actual place. Um, anyway, they were there four years ago and um, we sat beside them and, and my husband had no idea who she was, which is hilarious because we've, our daughter, we've watched the Princess Diaries right. a bazillion times. So, um it cracked me up that he didn't know who she was. And so he was asking all these funny questions, you know, like, Oh, so what do you guys do? And they're just looking at him like, uh, <laughs> like, but she was super nice. The other two people that I got to meet that I thought were really cool was the wrestler, China. Mm. She was really cool. Uh, not what you would have thought. She was uh, on a radio show and we got to interview her and dude, she opened up about abuse and all, I mean, she was there to talk wrestling and it turned out to be kind of like an autobiography of her life. It was just amazing. But she, and then afterwards, uh, I got to talk to her a little bit more in depth, and um, and that was she was really cool. And another one was Gene Simmons. I, I met him wandering the halls at a radio station, um, and he was lost for some reason. And so I say, hey, I use the excuse, oh, I'll walk you out, you know. And so I got to talk to him for a little bit, and they, that guy's a hoot, man. He was crazy. Um, but so, yeah, so there are people out there that are really cool, and maybe their public persona is something. But in reality, when they're just down to earth people, and maybe they build up that wall because you get inundated, you know, with the, you know, continue to ask for autographs, continue. I've seen a lot well, of Well, I think people. we project them, too, to be a certain way. We want them to be a certain way. And then when they're not, we're really disappointed, and then we blame it on them. Like, I've, they're just people. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen many people. You know, you live out here, you're going to run across them. I've seen many people just in, in uh, Heather Tom, for example, who was on Young and the Restless or Bold and the Beautiful, one of those. She used to live out the street for me. Uh, I see at the grocery store all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think one time, you know, we, uh, I think she might have drove by, saw me outside, whatever. But she's like, hey, you're my neighbor, right? I'm like, yeah, how's it going? And that was it. And then we see each other quite a bit in the grocery store. But, you know, hey, what's up? That's it, you know. Because they want to be left alone. That's their private life. Or others, you'd sit there and you kind of make, like you said, that eye contact. And you just kind of give them the nod or the wink that you recognize who they are. But then you just leave them alone. And they like appreciate that, you know, mm-hmm. if they're at the airport or whatever. Um and so it's fascinating when you're out here or anybody having a, a, a situation where you come across somebody, you never know, A, what they're going to be like, 
And B, you don't know how that is going to change. And I would say this. This would be the final thing I would say. If there's somebody that you are a super, super, super big fan of, I would recommend not meeting them. Because they may dash. They might disappoint you, yeah. And disappoint you, yes. <laughs> so I would say if there is somebody, don't meet them. Yeah. Because they could. And that works. I've had that happen. I've had that happen where I met a couple of people that I thought were that I thought would be cool, like especially in the sports world. And I'm like, dude, you're a douchebag to infinity and beyond. <laughs> and I want nothing to do with you ever again. In fact, yeah. just trash all their memorabilia or whatever. So you do have to kind of be a little bit careful. But then also know that when you approach them, it could be who they are, where they're at, all that stuff. And that's a different thing too. But, uh, but it's a fascinating world of Hollywood. And uh, you've been more into it as far as the sets and stuff that uh, – uh, than other people have. So, did you get as as a as an extra on set? Is that what you are an extra? Is that like a PC term? They've called us all different names over the years: mm. extras, atmosphere, background actors. Yeah. So, <laughs> when it comes to pay, you guys get paid well or not? If you're in the union, okay. Which I am. I am a registered um, SAG after. I'm in the union. Pay my dues. Okay. A couple quick things, just so people know. Adam Sandler. Recently, $250 million to do four Netflix films. That's how much he's getting paid. Will Smith, $100 million just to do Men in Black 3. Uh, Keanu Reeves or Kenny Reeves, $250 million he made for the three Matrix movies. He's one of the top, I guess, grossing actors. He does really well. Harrison Ford made $65 million for Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Uh, Jack Nicholson, $50 million for the Joker and Batman. Cameron Diaz, I don't know if you saw this movie, horrible movie, worst movie, one of the worst movies I've probably ever seen. Um, Bad Teacher, $42 million. Uh, Tom Hanks, you mentioned him, $40 million for uh, Saving Private Ryan, $60 million for Forrest Gump. Uh, Emma Stone, $26 million for La La Land. And as we wrap things up, uh, that's what's at stake with some of these people when they enter Hollywood, when they come from who knows where. And they come out here to Hollywood, and you see them bussing tables and waiting tables. That is what you're looking at. People are going for that shot at that big dollar, that fame, to get that uh, star on the Walk of Fame. And it could be, uh, it could be a, a steep price they pay if they're not careful. And they may never achieve it. They, yeah, there's a lot of people that do not. The cream rises to the top. The talent rises to the top. <laughs> so to thine own self be true. <laughs> We are here in the uh, shadows of the Hollywood sign talking about Hollywood. Uh, speaking of Hollywood and speaking of finding us, you can find us on Instagram at Two Steps Ahead Podcast, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. You can click the link in the bio, and there's a swag shop, so you can buy merchandise. There's also uh, YouTube. You can watch our videos on YouTube, and there's platforms to hear us on Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, and a bunch of others, so click the link in the bio. They're at Two Steps Head Podcast on Instagram, T-W-O, Two Steps Head Podcast. And uh, my Instagram is Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. And again, I've got a link in the bio with similar stuff, a couple different things. And then also uh, check out RadioWarp.com. Our show is on there. It's a live streaming internet radio station. We're on there uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., plus there's other cool content there as well. And they can find you. I am on social media, Instagram, at Tara Hoke Shiro, T-A-R-A-H-O-K-E-S-C-H-I-R-O. 
I'm also on Facebook. Um, there's a link on my Instagram page. Um, there's a bubble store or um, TV sightings that you can see all the shows that I've been on. You can flick uh, through that album. And then there's also a link um, on the page to go to my uh, website where my blog is. Um, there's a podcast video library. There's the swag shop where you can buy T-shirts and merchandise and stuff like that. Hey, so uh, check us out online. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. Hollywood sign behind us could be an inspiration for you. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time. Be kind and don't be an a-hole. Thanks, guys.